So I've had a number of people ask me what my personal philosophy of life is. And um, I never really have answered. Not because I don't know what it is or I don't know how to put it into words because I do know how to put it into words and I know what I want to say. But I guess it's a lot like what I remember from a quote from Ernest Hemingway who was asked why he never lets anybody see any of his draft manuscripts of any of his stories until they're finished and published. He never would. He wouldn't let a, uh, a copy editor, wouldn't let a proofreader, wouldn't let a friend. He would never let anybody read his manuscripts before his best-selling novels came out, like The Old Man and the Sea, for example. And when he was asked this, he generally deflected and didn't say much, but one time he did answer, apparently. And I read his answer, and I, I've never forgotten his answer. It has always stuck with me over the years. And I may not have every word exactly right, so... But what he said was... The purity and inspiration that goes into what I write dies the minute I release it into the world. What he meant by that was, I believe, that the purity, the inspiration, the power, the energy, the ideas, everything associated with his writing with his stories, had to remain his own private treasure, his own private room, in his own private room. And uh, it could not, it could not be released into the world because the minute it was released into the world, it was no longer his. It no longer could provide inspiration. It can no longer provide purity. And this didn't make sense to a lot of people, I'm sure. You couldn't quite see why a, a work of art would be any less because someone made a suggestion or somebody read it and reacted to it. But I understand what he was saying. I, I, I've always understood what he meant by that. I've always understood it. And really, what he was trying to say was, uh, as I sit here by this lake, watching the geese collect over here, I realized that what he was saying was very applicable to my own self and my own philosophy of life and what powers me as a thinker and as a philosopher. And uh, I've always treated it as something very pristine and golden and special and nothing less. Uh, so... Uh, that's that's exactly where I, I've always come from on that subject. That's where I've always been. And uh, so when someone asks me, what is my personal philosophy of life? The first thing I think is, well, I, I think I'll keep that to myself. I think that's what I'll do. But 
I think I'm going to share that philosophy with you here in this podcast. And I've never done that before, but I'm going to do it. And perhaps it will give some hope or some inspiration or some have some kind of positive meaning to someone out there. And perhaps it will energize their lives and their philosophies and help them to understand this world that we live in today. Uh, maybe a little bit better. I think it would be wonderful if it could do that. And I would be very happy if it did. You don't have to honor or believe in or like or accept every last thing that your flawed father and mother did during their lifetime. But you can honor those things, those time-tested truths that have survived the years and remember that you can respect them for the fact that they have walked this earth and experienced it, this great one in a trillion opportunity to walk this earth. And in so doing, one of the things they did was to create the conditions for you to exist and walk this earth too. And that is why we say honor your father and your mother in that sense. And no matter whether they were loving parents devoted to you or whether they were absentee, the plain fact is you wouldn't be here without them. When it comes to understanding that, you need to also say to yourself, why am I here? And ultimately, it will be traced back to at least one single act of love between two human beings on this planet. If you can fathom that, if you can gather that in your mind, then you can stop and look up in the sky and somehow or another, in some way or another, look at that which created you and say thank you, at least for the fact that you've been permitted to breathe this air. Today is the day after Passover and the Last Supper, in other words, in the Christian religion, the day when uh, we celebrate and remember Jesus Christ's Last Supper. And uh, it is uh, tomorrow, of course, that is Easter Sunday. 
Um, and uh, it's always uh, a beautiful time for Christians because like I suppose every every culture hi how you doing with every tradition out there um, you have memories and they are associated typically with very important events events that are associated with what we call religion, which is, in my opinion, just simply the natural need of humankind to reach out to what created them, ultimately. Uh, these are times of great emotional and personal meaning. So, we here in the Western Judeo-Christian world, we uh, have our Easter and our Passover time. And uh, it's interesting to look at how humans relate to Easter. Now, I'm not Jewish, so I can't speak for, uh, of course, those who are of the Jewish uh, faith, but... Uh, I can speak for those who are of the Christian faith, or at least those who have adopted a, um, or have been experienced in what you might call the standard and uh, common uh, variation of, uh, of Easter. And typically, uh, every Sunday on Easter, when the Easter Sunday comes about, we will... Um, either go to the sunrise service, many people prefer to do that, or to one of the other services that are typically held around Easter, uh, maybe 10 o'clock or sometimes 9 or 11, depends on the church. Um, sunrise service, of course, is very symbolic of the rise uh, of Jesus to eternal life on the fourth day, third day, excuse me. And uh, it's meaningful to us. It's a very beautiful uh, experience if you're actually a Christian and you uh, get up early and go to the sunrise service. It's associated with uh, a rather superior moment of bliss. And uh, in our Western world, we've, uh, you've, you've heard that there's been a decline in church attendance and, and the number of those who declare themselves to be Christians. You've heard that. And uh, I can't dispute the numbers. I can't say if they're wrong, right? I can say a couple things, though, uh, about Christianity, about our Creator, about humankind, 
about how we seem to have a built-in chip or gene that naturally attempts to understand the cosmos and our place in it. I can talk about that. And uh, first thing I would want to say to you is that uh, we don't have the equipment to understand the concept that we call God, the thing that we call God, the entity that we call God. We don't have the biological equipment to understand what launched or how the first state of is occurred. We don't know. We don't have the ability to understand it. We weren't born with the equipment and we have not evolved to a place where we can understand our creator or the ultimate point, even if there is a point of creation or in a linear fashion. And we human beings are wired for linearity, for cause and effect. And that means that uh, when, uh, when something happens, we want to know the cause of it. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and as I walk my dog here, I look up at this beautiful blue sky and this... Uh, Everywhere around you, the dormant trees and the empty gardens are just exploding with green and uh, color and life. And once again, you can't help if you have a brain, you can't help but stop and take a look up and say, wow, look at this. Look at this. How did this, how, how, why is this here? Oh, I know scientists have have parsed back the causes and effects as far as they can go. Yeah, they've, they've done a great job of it too. Thanks to our scientists, we, we know what causes many, many different diseases and we've devised medicines to help us live our lives better and, and, and cure many of them as well. Science is absolutely a marvel of the human brain that we have the ability to think in linear fashion that A caused B and therefore C happened. That's linear fashion. That's what linear fashion is all about. That's what linear thinking in a line. One thing, then another thing, and another thing. Could be zillions of things in a row. Could be two things in a row. But one thing causes another. That's linear thinking, and we're wired as human beings to think in linear fashion. And uh, that helps us do so many things, helps us do so many things, so many things. Even going back to the very first uh, erect, you know, homo erectuses, those who would stand and, and are able to kind of look bigger than they were and 
had thumbs that worked. Well, every achievement they ever made was done with linear thinking. Somebody accidentally uh, took a stick after lightning hit a bunch of dry wood and uh, poked it in the in the fire, the subsequent fire, and he got fire on the end of his stick. And by looking at that, he realized I can make a fire in my cave too. If I know how to do it, I just have to wait till lightning hits something to start a fire. Somewhere else there's a fire somewhere and I can go out and grab it with my stick, put it on my stick and bring a bunch of dry wood back into my cave and I can have my own personal fire. Big, big thing, of course, because fire gave them the ability to withstand cold weather and to cook away um, bacteria and so forth from their food that would cause them to uh, get ill and die. And uh, so even at the very basic point of human evolution, linear thinking was part of it. It was very much a part of it. Uh, if, if lightning hits a, a pile of dry wood, then I will get fire. And the fire occurs, I grab a, a dry stick or a piece of wood and I attach the fire to my piece of wood. I then walk it back to my cave, I put it on my little pile of dry wood and I have warmth and I have something to uh, make my food taste better. That A, B, C, D thinking gave you fire, gave you everything else that was developed and has been developed all the way up to today. When, uh, we have mapped the human genome. Uh, we have DNA evidence-based uh, arrests with little more than a, a drop of saliva. All these things are the result of science and the result of linear thinking. Because these are absolutely amazing, profound achievements, we naturally and rightly admire science and we embrace science because in linear fashion, it has taken us very, very far and it will always take us very far. It may take us to understand how the initial bang occurred that uh, created what they believe to be our observable universe. Um, and it can keep on going for quite a while, but there's one place it can't go because we were not wired for it. But even our greatest geniuses, even our Einsteins, even our people with high mathematical IQs, high IQs, highest of IQs, cannot they're incapable of grasping that final essence of what what caused is to occur. What caused the very first point of creation of all things, of everything, of big bangs, of things that went on before big bangs in our linear minds whatever went on before that, and before that, and before that, and before that. At some point, uh, our linear minds recognize that we're at a 
mathematical dead end. And that is one of the reasons why even the greatest mathematicians have not been able to crack the code that is. And um, the question, what is? Uh, so it, the observable world and our linear logical minds can solve zillions of questions. And that's why for many sciences or religions, replacement, religious replacement, and understandable. I fully understand why people would put their faith in science, absolutely. But they cannot and they will not ever be able to answer the question, what created is. In other words, where was that very first part? Where was that very first thing? And what created that? If you think in linear fashion, you can't answer the question of what created the very first is. It's not possible. It's not going to happen. We're not built for it, and we're not wired for it. But in that answer, in that answer, at that point, that is where we'll find what we call God. It's not a particle, it's not a linearly created cause and effect. It is something uh, using a system of logic that our minds are not able to grasp because we have not evolved to the point where we can grasp them. But we can grasp a whole lot. Yes, we can, especially our most brilliant people can grasp a lot, incredible amounts, and very admirable too. And that's not going to stop generation after generation. And we'll inch towards more understanding and more knowledge as time goes on, because that's how man is. And we build one understanding upon another. If we do this, then we can do that. And each generation spends the time and the resources to uh, get there and does it. And uh, that's why how we advance. That's how today um, I can take a pill for uh, high blood sugar and it doesn't affect me negatively, uh, but it lowers my blood sugar to a point that's not detrimental to my health. That's you know why we have so many things. Cars that are even we're even talking about self-driving um, But if our minds cannot get beyond linear science that we have adopted, it's been so successful for us. That is one of the reasons why we cannot understand that. Science that we use as people is not a system by which God can be understood. That essentially is a system. So for me, I have a personal philosophy about it. I say to myself that I'm, we've probably been built intentionally so that we cannot understand 
what God is. We've been built that way. We've been built to not understand that initial force. And so in our linear fashion, we have had people who have devoted their lives to trying to understand. And it's, it, it, it's human nature to try to get to that next understanding point. What happened? Why is this happening? What is it? And, uh, but when a human being enters into a, an equation that involves God, anytime a human enters any equation that involves absolute purity and absolute and absolute uh, godliness, I guess what you would call it. Anytime a human enters that and begins writing about it, then they bring what our uh, holy books call sin, or what I simply call flaws. We are a flawed race. We are flawed beings. Sapiens are by, by, by uh, nature flawed. We are flawed with uh, by building uh, our world around our own selves and interpreting everything quite understandably, quite natural, in terms of our own personal filters, not those of anybody else really. Although some people have more empathy than others. Um, but we uh, are a flawed people, humankind, flawed, some exceptionally flawed. Uh, you know, the serial killers, exceptionally flawed. Some just very, very mildly flawed. But every last human being, whether it's a, an imam in a, a mosque or a uh, a doctor, or a judge, or a, uh, a good Samaritan, or a Mother Teresa, every last one of them is flawed in some manner. And that means that when they pick up their pen to discuss God and discuss our Creator, uh, their flaws will flow through their hands and onto the papers that they're writing. That goes for whether the writer is Muhammad or whether the writer is a, a, a Jewish high priest or whether the writer is one of Jesus' disciples. In every case, human humanness enters into it. And when humanness enters it, then that means there's a flaw and it's another bit of space away from perfection that is God. Having said that, do I disparage the Bible? No, I do not disparage the Bible. The Bible was, in my opinion, in my view, as I'm a Christian, was man's best shot at trying to understand and relate and bring the elements of God to our everyday life thereby give us a backbone, give us uh, guidelines, give us the missing guidance that we 
naturally as humans wish we could have from our, our creator, from that perfect creator. And they made good things and they asked us to do good things. Thou shalt not kill, the Ten Commandments, etc. And people who follow those by and large live good lives. harm other people and uh, and as a result the Bible has many names but it's often called the good book and it is um, there are many many stories written by people uh, some of them are based on historical facts some of them are exaggerations some of them are designed for illustration uh, some of them are kind of like when uh, when Donald uh, hosted the Clemson uh, football team and he had a whole bunch of Big Macs there for everybody and he said, I had, um, the Big Macs were stacked a mile high and the Post, uh, Washington Post went back and studied all the Big Macs over there and said, no, Trump lied. Uh, they were only 47 feet tall in terms of Big Macs stacked one on top of another. Um, and just like Trump, making a, uh, using hyperbole and illustration to tell you that uh, there were a whole lot of Big Macs there and people were loving them. Um, in the same way, as silly as it may seem, uh, those who've written our holy books from the Quran to the, the Talmud to the, uh, uh, you know, to the Bible, and, and the, uh, uh, these people have inserted their own uh, illustrations of the things they firmly believe and they have received in a spiritual manner from God. And that's why uh, uh, these books are not scientific documents, but supportive and helpful guidelines for people who are trying to find happiness and love and peace on this strange place that we've been placed science we know is a round ball uh, you know, rotating through space and uh, so don't disparage the holy books of our of our generations and, and past generation never do that uh, whether it's the Bible or the Quran or the Talmud or, or any any attempt by we flawed human beings to put together uh, a guidepost, a pathway, a system for understanding that ultimate creator. That was a good thing that we did. In each case, it's a good thing. We tried, we did our best, but we did insert ourselves into those. And sadly, uh, in some cases, uh, some of them, some people were more flawed than others when they wrote those books. Some of them things in there that were designed to uh, stimulate and support their own power or stimulate objectives like uh, making, uh, bringing together a very committed group of soldiers to fight others uh, and so forth and um, or designed to keep uh, a, an aristocracy of priests at the top. Uh, this was you know, woven into the words very carefully. And that's unfortunate because in the same book 
they have had truly spiritual individuals who have connected to their God and God in the best way they can find and, uh, and, and relayed wisdom to people too. So it's mixed with both. All three. All three holy books are that way. Well, those who've seen the miracles of science on this earth have, uh, and who subscribe to science, as I think is a pretty smart thing to do, uh, particularly those who don't go to any religious assembly um, and don't read any of these holy books. Um, these people have replaced uh, a truly, true yearning for our ultimate purity and creator. They replaced it with a, uh, a disdain for religion. And um, that's, a, that's really not a good thing. It's not, it's unfortunate. And they base their disdain on the fact that these holy books are not scientific. And um, as far as, in the, in the most extreme cases, they call them mumbo-jumbo and stuff like that. And uh, that's quite unfortunate because these books were the very best attempts by human beings of true hearts of sincerity in most cases not all the time but quite often to find locate connect with our ultimate creator and these uh, include often include very positive good guidelines for human life so when you throw the baby out with the bathwater as so many science devotees do, you leave us with a giant hole. And there's no connection. There's no connection to happiness. There's no path to happiness. There's no path to joy, except through uh, science-created, linear thinking-created diversions uh, or um, uh, natural uh, pleasure that is obtained from various uh, sources and excite activities such as drugs or um, promiscuous sex uh, which also is enabled by one of the developments of our linear thinking the birth control pill so um, but none of them satisfy and they leave everybody with a big void because people of the past weren't stupid. They didn't have the technology we had, but they understood that man's heart yearns for its creator, for that perfect point, that perfect reality, that place. And we only make the mistake in reaching out to God to think that we have the ability to truly understand God. Um, that's the only, that's the only part that is wrongful. We can't, and that's not I understand how people want to believe they know what God thinks and God says. It's natural, but we can't. And um, so we can take our best shot, just like the writers of our holy books have done on a daily basis. But we should never turn away from God because even though we can't, we don't have the equipment to understand what God truly is, we still know that, that that he exists and we know that he's in all living things in some manner uh, and everything else that was made here 
So, on Easter today, enjoy this amazingly devoted, pure soul, Jesus Christ, who is devotion to God for whatever reason, whatever cause, uh, was so pure and so real and so committed, so committed that he was not willing to run away from those who sought to persecute him, but instead chose to die as a symbol of the importance of reaching out to that purity which created to us, created us. And that ultimate sacrifice that that one man made that day inspires us every day. Uh, when we listen to his story, but particularly around Easter time, as in our minds and our hearts, his soul and spirit lives within us. He has risen, and he's risen into the world as a force that's lasted over 2,000 years. Have a happy Easter, my friends. <laughs>